Hello everyone, welcome to session one of the Bebop Rewatch. We're very excited to be here uh, and we're delighted that you've joined us as well. So thank you for coming along and, and welcome to those of you who are finding us for the first time. Uh, what we're going to do here, as we discussed on the introduction episode, is we're going to be re-watching the entire, the entire series of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, the seminal anime TV show. And we're going to be breaking it down episode by episode and giving you our thoughts on that. So to do that with us, we have, of course, my homeboy, Rich Kid. Rich Kid, say what's up. What's up, people? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, man. It's going to be a wicked ride. And we've got, for our first guest, well, the, per the only person we could have for our first guest, really. Like, we couldn't start this without bringing along our cohort from Wulong Talks. The big man, Big A, the Mac Geek from up north. Say what's up, Big A. What's up, peeps? Yeah, man. So, yeah, the house is full. We're good to go. So let's crack on into it, boys. So um, the episode that we're looking at today is the first episode that ever aired of uh, Cowboy Bebop. Um, it's called Asteroid Blues. And straight away from this episode, you get like a real kind of sense of what this show is going to be about and the kind of things that they're going to do with this show um you know as I said right off the bat you you get the you know the different genres that they're dealing with you get the kind of classic sci-fi elements plus you get the western elements thrown in you get um a lot of action movie uh, references thrown in and there's tons of like kind of easter eggs and little hidden things um about the show that you get from this first episode. And, and this is something that like anime shows are very good at. They're very good at from the very first episode, kind of foreshadowing the things that are going to come. So um, what we'll be doing is we'll be chatting a, a little bit about that. But um, first of all, I mean, guys, like obviously we, we all know this series. We've watched it many times in Richard's case, probably so many times that his disc is broken. Um, <laughs> but you know, what, what did you feel when you, you first started that first episode? Because it begins in a in a very specific way as well. It begins with that montage of, of kind of a shootout between Spike and um, some other guys. Uh, we don't know who those guys are and we don't really know who Spike is at, at this point. We're just kind of given that that first set of images. So what was your, your first kind of thoughts when you see that? I mean, obviously, bearing in mind that, you know, you're watching this not as... Um, somebody who's seen the show several times before, but as a newcomer, um, what were kind of the things that, that stood out for you in, in that opening? Um, and I'll toss that one over to you, Rich. Oh, to me, yeah. <clears throat> um, I just remember just thinking to myself, like, this just looks fucking beautiful. That was number one. It was beautiful. I mean, like, the opening montage, you have to let them know, Jay, is also in black and white. So I mm. see it in black and white, and I'm just like, number one, this just this, this looks different. You know, this doesn't look like the, you know, usually when you have a flashback in, in anime, like it's, it's just normal, just like, uh, is that is an actual flashback? And then it's just some voiceover. Yeah. And then they came in and then they killed my master. And it's just like, no, wait a minute. It's a montage in black and white, beautifully shot as well. That's what it is. Be I mean, like, it looks, I mean, the, this is going to be something that's going to be something that all of us are going to be saying throughout the whole show, throughout every single episode. It looks like a film, like a beautifully shot film. So you've got this like this beautifully shot montage with like angles, like I said, that you don't normally find in anime. Um, in black and white, which is isn't which isn't usually a normal trope when they do flashbacks in for, for this. Um, with just some melancholic, like piano, is it piano music or like a music box jam happening over the top, which is the complete opposite to what's actually happening on screen. And the best way I can describe it is um it's something that John Woo's done at least more than once, but I won't reference the first one. I'm sure Jay could tell you what song is playing. But the one I remember is basically in Face Off, when the when somebody's house gets attacked or Castor Troy's house gets attacked, and he's got a daughter. And while they're having the shootout, the guy who's looking after the daughter doesn't want her to hear the gunshots, so he puts the headphones over her ears, and it's playing somewhere over but over the over the rainbow by Judy Garland, and it's just those those two complete opposites. And I just remember just seeing this on screen. So you've got that the black and white montage, the the music box music playing, beautifully shot angles, and just going, I need to fucking watch this. There's not like already from that point onwards, I knew I hadn't seen anything like this in in an in animation form, and I was just hooked. 
that's mm. that that's the first time I can say when I saw that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, very evocative the the kind of from the the get-go. And as said, what I like about it as well is the fact that they they don't really tell you anything about who is in that scene. It's just kind of it's there. And you know there's a significance for it being there, but they're not going to tell you straight off the bat why it's happening. It's something that they uh, said that they foreshadow um, very well. And it's something that, you know, Cowboy Bebop does very well. And it's something like I said, the anime in general seems to do very well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's, it's exactly like a movie. Um, Alf, how about you? Like, what, what were the kind of the first things you, you took away from that opening scene? Yeah, I remember seeing it and not, not knowing like what the hell, like how how that was important or why it would be important at the time. Actually, mm. later on you do go on to find out, but just kind of like you know, understanding that it was a flashback of some sort of flashbacks and little bits and pieces of like kind of like moments, feelings, and emotions, and then you know the dropping of the rose, and then it going from black and white to color. It it you, you just knew kind of like it, it was significant in a way. And would get all that filled in at some point, but at, at that moment in time, you you weren't aware as to how or mm. to how it was related. So it was kind of it was just kind of giving you a little a little taster. But then, obviously, like later on, obviously we get to get to learn a lot more. But it, was, it just it kind of makes you stick with it because you're like, okay, now I want to know kind of like more about what this character is like, their past is all about, and all that kind of thing. So. So yeah, it's it's just a really good use of um, just making you go what? So you just stick with it, you know what I mean? It was just just such a good kind of like little intro because I mean they could have easily just gone straight into the episode, but it j- just gives you a little bit of intrigue before you get into it, and then and then you're just there for the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, man. It's a very strong like John Woo vibes coming off of that um, introduction, mm. as Richard said as well. You know, really, really strong John Woo vibes. It, it feels um, like Sutton taken from you know one of his movies, so it definitely kind of sets the tone straight away for what you know what one of the things this this series will be about, I guess. Um, and it's as Rich said, it's just beautifully shot as well. It's beautifully animated. Um, so it's very, very kind of striking. And what I liked as well, Rich, was the um as that scene comes to an end where um the rose drops into the puddle, um yeah. the picture slowly kind of refocuses and then becomes colour. So the, yeah, the yeah. actual petals like one by one start to become red and it and it, you know, the whole uh, scene and the and the whole panel that um is presented there slowly kind of fills up with with color as um mm. the the music kind of comes to a crescendo and um it's just like a, a piece of art really like when you watch that scene it's amazing the way that they've done that um and it was a very very clever way to kind of start the show so yeah man we we got off to a real uh flyer with that episode and then of course you get that theme music by um yoko kano for the first time and you hear that and um, you know the seatbelts just jamming like crazy, um, and that is just like I mean, even people that I know that that aren't big fans of Cowboy Bebop, I don't know why they're not big fans of Cowboy Bebop. That's like an odd thing. <laughs> but even people who don't like Cowboy Bebop love the theme music, um, and the music in general on on the 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 actual show is it's just unbelievable the work um that Yoko Kano and the seatbelts do with with that soundtrack um and we'll get into that more and more as you know we we start going through the episodes listeners but definitely i mean if you just just track down the soundtrack alone even if you don't want to watch the show just listen to the soundtrack it is absolutely amazing so as the episode kind of goes on and we get past the, the theme music, we're then kind of first sort of introduced to, to Spike, Spike Spiegel, the character, um, who is, uh, I guess you would say, that the main character of the story. Um, although one of the great things about this series is it does take time to properly introduce you to everybody and, and to fill out everybody's backstory, although it does it in a non-linear way. So again, it's not necessarily that, you know, from the very beginning, you're going to be told all the details about who these characters are. Um, you get it kind of piece by piece as the, the series goes on. But it's amazing the, the, the way that Spike is introduced. So Rich, tell us a little bit about that first scene. 
Hold on. So the, the first scene, this is basically when we meet them. Well, hold on. We meet Spike training, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Like, Jesus. Like, once again, like, it comes down to to the type of animation that's been done, like, in, in, in this scene. And, like, when you think back to the other type of anime that was being released at that point, everything else was quite close up or, like, or, like, or mid shot. And everything's like quite fast paced. There was there was no sense of any form of making it feel anything more than an anime. That's how everything else felt. And then you see like this scene, and it looks like it's like it's been filmed. <clears throat> so I I basically listened to the commentary with the with the two guys um from Japan or for for the original um copy who did the voice for Spike and did this and did the voice for Jet. And this is a thing that they said. They said that. When they were given the script, they were allowed to ad lib a little bit, but they were told not to do the voices as if they were like doing a show or doing a voiceover or anything like that. They were just basically like, just imagine as if you are actually just talking. So you're just like, so you've got this paper in front of you, we want you to stick to it as close as possible, but at the same time, just let it come as natural as possible. And so you've got the voiceover, like, you know, when they're speaking like that, and then you've just got this, this scene of like Spike just training no top on this is this is the homoerotic bar kicking in now so like no top on pants and he's just basically just going through some cartons and the other thing as well is that he doesn't look like other anime characters from that period he's not six foot whatever and buff with tattoos or scars or anything he's a very very lean character and just if anything actually normal looking and on the bit of the skinny side as well so already you've been introduced this character and you know that he's kind of dangerous but at the same time, he's kind of laid back when it comes to this conversation that happens between him when Jet comes to, you know, comes to talk to him. But the lighting of the scene where he's training is almost, it's somewhat similar to the opening montage, but it's done in blue and black. And it just makes it feel like like a, a film noir or a tech noir film. Like, and it, it imagines that it looks like something that might have come out from like Blade Runner. Mm. But I mean, it's, it's a beautiful scene, especially when you see him do the kick. And he just does the kick and he just kind of like does like a semicircle or a circle around his foot just in slow motion. If anything, the best way to describe it for anybody who hasn't seen it, there's a scene in Enter the Dragon where Bruce Lee's in his room and he's doing like these jumping high kicks. And then somebody comes in and tells him to fight. And Bruce basically does like a 180 turn with his foot still in the at the same point and then points it to the person at the door and goes outside. That scene is basically, you know, just an homage to that Bruce Lee scene. That mm. mm. yeah that's the kind of vibe i got from it as well i got that kind of strong um strong kind of bruce lee slash martial arts movie um vibe and and reference to that particular scene when you meet him as well and it it, it says a lot about his character in an odd way because it explains kind of his serenity but to the point of almost being like numb in a way, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. to his surroundings. And again, it, it kind of foreshadows a lot of what we're going to learn about Spike, um, both as a, as a physical person um, in terms of his experience and the things that he's gone through physically, but also the, the kind of mental state that he has. Um, so, yeah, it really kind of opens, the, you know, those those doors for you. Um, and then, as Richard said, we we get to meet uh, Jet for the first time, Jet Black, um, who we find out from there is uh, the captain of the ship that they're on board, which is called the Bebop, um, which the show is after. Um, and there's a really nice kind of back and forth between Jet and Spike, which, again, is like a huge foreshadowing um, for what's to come and is a very, very funny scene as well. Um, Alvin, do you remember that that introduction scene between the two of them and the chat about bell peppers and beef? Yeah, I do. Yeah, because it's just uh, that that you know they work together. You know they're cowboys, bounty hunters, but they're two quite different guys. And I think like that scene kind of it kind of says to you kind of like how different they actually are. Um, and also the whole bell pep bell pe peppers and beef kind of like joke. It that's just that just lets you know that you know what they they mess up sometimes in their job. There's high costs. They have to pay for things, for damages and stuff like that, and they have no money. You know what I mean? They do a hard job, but whatever they do, earn they earn very little of. So there isn't actually any 
beef in the bell peppers and beef. Mm. So it's just like, you just get an idea that life is hard for them. You know what I mean? Mm, and mm. you just get it. And if you've seen like, it's funny, you said Serenity earlier, but if, if you've seen like Firefly and obviously shipping that, it's called Serenity. It's a similar kind of thing. It's like, they work for things, they work for money, they do these jobs, but then they don't, they get little out of it. So it's like, why are you still doing it? But they, they still do do whatever they need to do. But kind of like life is hard, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, it just it was just like a nice kind of like little. Inch. You kind of feel bad for them because we're like going, okay, this is what they're doing all this stuff, but nothing really comes of it for them, you know what I mean? And then obviously, because it's world building, we get the bounties come in and whatnot. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah. Well, I think, oh, sorry. Carry on. No. No, on. I was just gonna say that you're you're absolutely spot on with the. Um firefly reference there as well because that actually yeah you're now i think about it that's a really good um kind of point of reference for the the whole series as a whole because as you said they you know this is a, a show where the heroes don't always win um you know they make mistakes uh things go wrong for them um and as you said there are consequences for the the decisions that they make as well um you know which is another thing that is so strong about this show is is the writing and and the way that they're able to kind of pay off a lot of the decisions that these characters make um you know and that again in this show re- and in this episode in particular really kind of brings home the the idea that you know not everything is is glamorous and glitzy and and you know these heroes are not perfect people they're they're kind of messed up and as said we we you kind of find out more about that as the show goes along but sorry rich i just cut you off but uh go on Mick. oh yeah no no I, I was basically just gonna say that where it's just like you know it's it's almost you know there's always going to be that whole that whole notion that anything that's drawn in any form of animation is, is is for kids but like you said but like you know you just see that scene and like this is the this is the real world you know like i said there's a lot of animes that were coming out at that point and you know, you watch film. You, I mean, like the most popular at that point that my brother used to watch was was Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball, and you've just got these characters that just charge up and they're always becoming better. And then you've got things like Pokemon, where Ash can catch every single thing, and then you watch like Cowboy Bebop, and essentially it's a you know the first scene where this first conversation they have is about them being broke. That's real fucking life. That's it's like this already. For there's certain things that you see from the montage into this scene. That this isn't a show for kids, you know, and 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 that's a, and that's when I when I rewatch the episode and when I look back, I I, I remember getting that notion and I think because I saw it, I didn't see it too young. I saw it like in my early twenties, and so I could kind of relate to that whole thing because you don't know what you're fucking doing, and you know, like you know, certain times you you know when you're younger, you, money's more frivolous and and it's easy to get, but there's certain days when you're kind of broke and you're like, right, well, boy, what can I eat? Okay, well, let's do this, and then uh, so I so I I like the fact that it was it wasn't anything special. It was just like a day to day thing, and it just happens to be about a meal. But the other thing that I did clock on about that whole conversation is that it kind of relates to a lot of the well, one of the themes that runs throughout the show as well, and it relates to not just the main characters but to multiple characters that you might meet along, and it's the whole thing of lying. <laughs> and it's this whole yeah you, you understand it's this whole thing of lies it's this whole thing of like yeah we've got you know beef and bell peppers you've got two partners on the ship we don't know how long they've been together but with, from what we can gather we know they've been together for a certain amount of time in just the way how they act with each other and you know and invade and they, they're able to invade each other's personal space within a certain degree and it's this whole thing of like he could have just said yeah we've got noodles we've got this and the thing is jet is telling a lie about there being beef in the noodles but not out of spite, but because he wants to be nice. So that gives another hint as to the the way that these two have a relationship. Like, you know, they're not, they, they've been together long enough for one person to care about what the other person may feel like. And the only time that person breaks and actually tells the truth and says, well, listen, the reason why we don't have beef is because you did this and you did that and you did this. He could have just said that from the get-go, but you can see that he wants to try and spare his feelings and wants it to be a perfect life but he does it the wrong way he opens mm. with a lie so like i said but that's another thing that runs throughout this whole show so that's another thing that i clocked on as well mm-hmm. and it harkens back as well to the the point you were making earlier about the maturity of of the show yeah. itself and, and the mm. content of it and the fact that um you know what whilst i wouldn't necessarily say it's not for kids i would say it's more 
it's certainly more complex than the average kind of you know um anime show that you you get in general in terms yeah. of its characterization and the way that it's going to treat these characters as well it's going to treat them like adults mm. um you know which is really kind of fascinating from to to get that vibe so early on in in the show so um as the episode goes on we we get to find out as um we've talked about that these guys are are bounty hunters as uh, Big A mentioned, and basically they're broke. They got no money, so they're going to have to get a bounty in order to kind of um, get themselves some money, basically, and get some real beef. Um, the show kind of quickly sets up that we're we're out in the future at the moment, um, and humans are able to travel off world. So we have um, the these two characters based on their ship the bebop out in space um and from there you you kind of get the the sense of where the technology is at and the fact that they're able to travel to different planets that all seem to have been kind of colonized with humans and asteroid belts as well which is where the, the name comes from um and then as, as said they discover that being bounty hunters there is a, a bounty available on one of these asteroids um for a character called uh asimov solenson um who the show kind of reveals is a, a member of a syndicate and again we don't really get too much detail about what the syndicate is um but it's one of those things that they are foreshadowing again for explanation sort of later on down the road so you kind of have to be patient with it listeners and and kind of get buy into the story at this point um and then a lot of those kind of questions get answered in in due course but we get to find out as said that the, this bounty is available so they they go to travel to an asteroid and the asteroid interestingly is called tijuana um, and those of you listening from America will obviously know that Tijuana is down south from you guys in Mexico um, and is a, a pretty famous Mexican town as well. Well, city, I guess, really is, is a more accurate way of describing it. But it's pretty famous, um, Tijuana, for being kind of like a, a wild, wild west town. Um, and when they arrive down there um, or when Spike first arrives down on Tijuana, um, you get a real sense of it being like a Western town. But what they do quite cleverly is there's quite a heavy um, Asian influence as well. So even though um, in terms of, you know, the flora and fauna and the buildings and things like that looking like um, the kind of, you know, the, the the kind of places you'd find in a typical Western, um, there is a lot of, of kind of Asian um, writing on the buildings. Um, you know, there's a lot of people walking around on, on the surface of the asteroid who obviously live there and, and inhabit it and work there. And um, you get, as I said, a real sense that this has become like a kind of melting pot. So obviously people have been here for, for quite some time. Um, what did you guys make of, of like Tijuana, the, the, the asteroid and the way that it was set out? Because I thought it was it was just like so clever to kind of set you know the part of the story on an asteroid that, that kind of almost looks like earth um mm. but was there anything that, that kind of stood out for you um Alf, you can go first yeah it kind of used to it kind of used to confuse me watching it uh, it took me quite a while to realize like yeah the whole kind of like amalgamation of kind of cultures thing is really cool and that but like i remember noticing that there were kind of like buildings in the sky and that kind of Mm. And I didn't, uh, it, my brain like didn't quite get like why I thought, wait, is that reflection? Why is there no actual sky? Why does it look like there's kind of like buildings on top of like where the sky would be or whatever? And then that's when like I began to realize that it's kind of like a generation ship, how like it's cylindrical on the inside. So obviously all around is the entire city mm. Mm. around it. So that's why like it's like, you, they don't explain that to you you just kind of have to figure that out and it took me a, like, a long time to realize that there's like no actual horizon it's just like cylindrical on the inside like for example a better way to explain it would probably be uh interstellar like mm. you know how there's those ships at the end of the movie and it's like there is no horizon and you've got that fake sun and that and it's all going around on the inside that's what it's like um but yeah there's a lot of kind of like old design there's a lot of recognizable stuff in there so it's not too futuristic, but then designs of some cars are like quite futuristic. There's the occasional light ship flying about and all that. But it's all kind of very um it's not 
it's not so fantastical that like you don't get it. You know what I mean? It's grounded enough so you get it, and then mm. there's a few things here and there that are like kind of fantastical, but it it doesn't go down the uh, down the. It's more down the used future kind of used tech kind of look uh, over anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's what I like about it is the way that they've kind of married, um, you know, present technology for the for the time. Um, bearing in mind, listeners, that this show was first made in in the late nineties, um, it has that same kind of feel to the the technology that you see around you um, and the ways in which we envisaged envisaged sort of future technology back in 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 that time period. Um, it really kind of encapsulates that, um, whilst also kind of grounding it, as, as you said, eh, so that it feels like, you know, even though you're not on Earth, you are still in a part of Earth, um, and Earth problems still exist within this world, as as we'll get to. Um, Richie, we also got our first look at Spike's iconic ship. Um, so I'm going to let you wax lyrical about the swordfish for a minute. Uh, the, sword, the swordfish is fucking cool. Like, it's just... It's just a fucking jam. Is you know what it is, because you you can look at. I mean, first of all, um, okay, no. So we're talking about like a, the sword, the swordfish, but you can almost look at the swordfish and also look at like just the way compare it the same way how um we were just you guys were just talking about how everything looks, whereas like everything looks the same. You know, you know, it reminds me of um. Let's say for anybody that can't kind of like piece what it what it what it looks like there's a bit in guardians of the galaxy 2 where you see the bit where um ego is telling is trying to play catch with peter quill and he basically says okay you, you know you, you've got to think of something think of something and he, and he's able to make the magical ball um and then it also reminds me of like an issue of thor where um, eric masterson goes to hell to fight against mephisto to get thor's soul out of a bag that he's captured and dr strange gives him this weapon but the weapon's formless and he's like, I just want you to think of something um, that you'll be able to handle. So, and he and Eric Masterson can think of a gun. He can't think of anything else, like you know, because it's only the imagination of what his mind can think of. So he has to be able to envision it and think it for it to be. And when you look at like everything that you see on the screen, when I first saw it, it didn't actually stand out to me because it was just so close to something where I was like, yeah, well. That probably makes sense anyway. There's a fucking building on it, you know, floating there, whatever, whatever. Like it, it just felt so rooted that w- that would be the next step that I didn't even question it until on repeated viewing. Um, and so, like when you see the swordfish, you've got this basically this ship, red, bright red ship that looks like a swordfish, and it's actually one of the most colorful things that you've seen so far in the episode. Um, and then you see Spike sitting in it. And he's not sitting in it like a normal like spaceship type of thing. He's actually almost straddling it like a, like a motorcycle. So I just remember just thinking to myself, like, how cool or how much cooler can this show fucking get? And take into account, we're only five minutes in. So we've already got this place that looks sci-fi but isn't sci-fi. And it looks like the type of place that you could be like, well, I can imagine actually going here. And then you've got this ship which just looks sleek as hell. And not only do you fly it, no, but you ride it like a motorcycle. That's all I remember. Like I just see, um, and like I said, then going back and watching the episodes and just seeing those two things again. This could be, you know, this could be like fucking a hundred years from now. If this shit was around, it, it wouldn't surprise me. It, it just feels very, very grounded. But all of those things, and and I think they made a really, really good um, shout for showing us the architecture and also showing us basically the kind of vehicles that they'd be using. Because we've already been introduced to the Bebop, which is basically a freighter ship. And then introduced to another ship, which isn't on the ground, but it's airbase. And obviously at some point has to hit the ground. And that looks slick. And then introduced to like the living quarters and the actual way how that part of society is set up. And I I just remember just thinking to myself, like, it's, it's just fucking perfect. Yeah, it is, man. It's it's a real, real dope addition to the show for sure. Um, and the swordfish, listeners, is um, if you don't know, it's the red, um, quite slim ship that you see a lot in um, the show. You see it a lot in uh, the artwork floating around the the internet and stuff as well. Um, and it's become a real iconic um, 
kind of vehicle, a, a, a very iconic anime vehicle, um, along with the many that, that that are out in the genre. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And as said, what what kind of stood out to me was the fact that you touched on, which was that he rides it like a motorcycle. So it's almost like he's coming into you know to town on his Harley Davidson. Um, and I love that. I love that kind of uh, reference that they put in there. Um, so with the kind of introduction and with Spike uh, arriving at Tijuana, we get um, then introduced to some of the other characters from the episode. We we first meet the um, three old men who are, I think, recurring characters throughout the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually got names for them, sorry. So when you're oh, you have? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Give us the names. Okay, so the names are, I, I can't tell you who's who, but the names mm. are Antonio, Carlos, mm. Yobin. And this is some fucking cool trivia. Like, listeners have to take into account that this is our first show on one of the shows that we actually love talking about. So it may feel a little bit boring, but trust me, everything we're going to be telling you, we're going to be telling you is fucking worth it. All right, so the three old men. So one's called Antonio, one's called Carlos, one's called Jobin. And uh, he was a Brazilian composer, pianist, songwriter, arranger, and singer. And, uh, and obviously, one of the things that we have mentioned is that the love of music is something which plays a very very big part in the show so basically those three characters who seem to do nothing but at some point they do do something is uh, is actually named after somebody which i'm sure either shinichiro watanabe or yoko kano definitely look up to and that's another sneaky way of getting music whether it be music itself or a song title or the name of a singer or a writer into the show and if you know, you know. And if you don't, then that's that's your bad. So that, that's that's a, that's a beautiful piece of like trivia to throw in there as well. Mm, for sure, man. For sure. So yeah, I mean, we, as you said, we we get to meet um, those characters, uh, the three old men, and their hilarious conversation as well, which is just brilliantly realised because it's just like a typical old man conversation. Um, I think one of them is is moaning about how he basically has to pay for the other two all the time and <laughs> yeah it's just like it's really really well kind of played out um and then we first get introduced to the villain of the piece as well um uh, i said the the character asimov uh, solenson um he's accompanied by a woman uh, a pregnant woman called katarina as well um and you know you're quickly kind of introduced to what he is about and why there's a bounty on his head um and it seems he see, he seems to be dealing in a drug, um, which I think is called red eye. I, I, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it is red eye, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and the red eye drug seems to be um, something that that's like an enhancer almost. It enhances your um, natural abilities, I guess, is the best way to put it. So it, it increases kind of your strength and your stamina and, and things like that. Um, and this is a very kind of black market thing. Um, as the episode kind of goes on, you find out that he's come into um, he's come into supply of all of this along with Katerina because they stole it from the syndicate that they work for, um, and so he's obviously trying to sell it off very quickly to to make himself a, a fast buck so that they can go to Mars um, and settle down on, on on Mars and and things like that. So you get a real kind of quick sense of, of what those characters are about as well and one of the cool things that i did note was that uh, asimov obviously is named after the um the sci-fi writer okay. isaac asimov yeah the author isaac asimov um which i thought was a very cool nod um katarina i'm not too sure about i did try and look it up but th there wasn't really much information about um katarina where that may have come from necessarily um but yeah that was really really cool that was a nice nod as soon as i found out his name i was like oh my god yes yeah, asimov <laughs> <laughs> so it shows you kind of already how much the you know the, the the makers of the show and the writers um are, are fans of these things and how they've been able to kind of incorporate that into the show um we get a, a great demonstration of what red eye does as well because there's this awesome scene um which is a shootout in the the bar that they're in um, well, I guess it's more like a cantina, isn't it? It's more like a kind of yeah. Western cantina. Um, and yeah, as, as said, the way that it's kind of framed and shot is just absolutely brilliant. Um, Alv, what did you make of like that that first kind of action scene for 
kind of setting the tone of what the series is about and the way that it was kind of shot? Did it kind of remind you of any movies that you've seen or anything like that? Uh, well, I, I kind of see it more like um, a bit subversive in a way, uh, because usually when there's like any kind of shootout, it would focus on just the actual shootout itself. Uh, whereas getting to see uh, the what was going on from uh, Asimov's um, point of view uh, while he was enhanced, it kind of added an extra layer to it, especially like moments where like there's one guy who runs up to and like takes the gun out of his hand and shoots him in the head. There's another guy who the bullet's coming directly towards him and he like ducks under it and dodges it and stuff like that. So it kind of because it, it puts you in his his shoes, that's kind of the more interesting part of the shootout. Like all the bullets flying about and all that is cool and everything, but what he does is is kind of really the focus. And then like that's when you really understand as to like what the drug is capable of doing in someone's hands like his. Hmm yeah definitely so definitely so and one interesting thing i i did find out as well about um tijuana and about this scene in particular um is that the uh makers of the show were big fans of uh, robert rodriguez's films um and in particular desperado and um what they wanted to do was to model asimov on um antonio banderas's character from from that okay. um the mariachi so like when you look at his face you actually see he kind of looks a bit a little bit like um antonio banderas did in that movie and he's got the yeah. same hairstyle and, yeah. and things like yeah. that um and that shootout scene was supposed to be like their version of the shootout in the the cantina um mm. in desperado so it was their kind of take on it and their homage to it um and yeah i say they did a pretty damn good job man because like when i was watching it, that that's kind of the first thing i thought of was like yeah this is kind of like desperado in a way like you know if you want to leave you can leave <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to stay, stay you can stay <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what you know what that's that film has to be seen at some point this week <laughs> or yeah, this weekend. Yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. sorry definitely we, up a whole we, new thing. <laughs> we've got we've got to do a desperado watch watch as well at some point <laughs> so look out for that one listeners we're going to do that too but um yeah i mean that the that scene was just brilliant the way it was kind of done and, and put together and again it just can it shows you like how skilled these animators are and how great a director watanabe is as well to to kind of um knit all of those scenes together and in the way that he does and to kind of play it out with um that homage um, is just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Mm. So we get on um, from there to uh, a little bit more kind of plot uh, and exposition. We learn that, um, as said, Asimov is a dealer of, of this substance, Red Eye. Um, and, you know, Spike, when he first confronts uh, Katerina, um, he actually manages to steal some food from Katerina that she's got from a vending machine without her looking because as is a running joke throughout this episode, Spike's belly is always rumbling, which is kind of giving up the the, the ghost a, a little bit, giving up the game a little bit for, for what he wants to do. Um, and that's quite a funny scene as well, because you get a, a, a nice sense of who Katarina is and what her, her kind of objectives are, you know, which is basically just to get the hell out of, of this place and this life. Um, and then as you see, she, you know, she appears to be pregnant. So you're, you're thinking, you know, she obviously wants to start a life somewhere where she and Asimov can be happy and, and raise their family. Um, Spike's kind of interaction with Asimov though was, was really cool. I mean, I like the way that Spike just really doesn't give a shit about Asimov when he realizes that the bounty on him is so small. Mm. Um, he kind of dismisses him as as a weak nobody, really, and a small fry. And you know, I love that because again, it kind of foreshadows like Spike's character, his his arrogance, and the way that he he kind of deals with people. But it's not even necessarily an arrogance built out of overconfidence. It's just an arrogance built out of his melancholy and the fact that he just doesn't really care that much about anyone or anything. Um, at, uh, certainly at that point. Um, what did you think of like that that kind of back and forth between him and Katerina and, and then with Asimov as well? Um, Alv, you can go first. Yeah, so character-wise, it, it kind of gives us the information like more character depth to both uh, Asimov and Katerina. Uh, just because before that, we, we really aren't quite sure as to like why they're doing why they're doing. And you kind of do like sympathize with them a little bit because you know you know they just want to 
get away and go to Mars and have a life together. And it's just you kind of do feel, especially when you get to the end, you kind of do feel a little bad about it. But things aren't necessarily always as as black and white uh, as we assume they are. Uh, so it definitely gives them some depth um, because they're not they're not just like your standard kind of anime antagonists. They're they're actual you know they've got hopes and dreams and wants as well, uh, just like anyone else. So it does uh, it does humanize them quite a bit. Although what they're doing is is against the law and bad and whatnot. Mm. Mm. yeah very much so richie how about you man yeah no i definitely have to agree with both of what you said and, and definitely what you said alvin is that the, the thing that this episode and this whole show is able to do so well um and it's something that another thing that we're going to keep on coming back to i think is that how it's able to tell a story without having to tell you everything that happened in the beginning so like so you like you do kind of feel sorry for katarina and, and asimov like like that like i said there's a, a sympathy where I imagine them being like a Bonnie and Clyde gone wrong. Like the relationship was never like this at the beginning. Like the relationship was like, okay, we've both been in the game for ages and we're going to do this. We're going to do this one last big score. And then that never really came along. And then when it finally does come along and I do have this thing, I can imagine that's when Asimov gets addicted to his own drug that he's actually trying to pedal as well. And the only thing that's keeping him sane is basically is Katerina. And so, you, and then obviously at this point, you think she's pregnant so you're like oh so you know there's a bit more sympathy where she's like she does love this man but obviously she might only be in love with this man because she's pregnant as well and then she has this run on a spike and then you just see this and this is another thing that another theme that runs throughout the show as well it's moments there's a reason why we're not told everything about anybody from the beginning and i remember reading an interview of shinichiro watanabe and he said that the reason he loved this show and the reason how we start it, how we start it, and how we ends the show, how we ends it, is because that's how life is. So you you might be friends with somebody that you you know in somebody in primary school that you were at, at five years old, and they were your best friend, and then that person might have got up and left for whatever reason. His family got up and moved moved country, and you never saw that person again. That's a moment in your life that you will have. You know, you might not ever know what happened to this person. You might not even know just the beginning of that of that person. But you will have a little, little chapter that you can always tell. And that's the thing that I love that you're getting in this episode. And it's the first episode because it's not, some, it's not something that's usually done. Usually from the first episode, we're told everything about this person or everything about everybody that appears in a show. But it's the running theme where, you know, like with Katerina and, um, and, and Asimov, you, you can tell already that they've, they've been through some shit. And, there's a, and, you know, and, that, and there's a reason why there's a bounty on the head and they're falling on hard times. And so when she does have this run into the spike, once again, it comes down to moments. And it's that little fleeting moments that they have where to a certain degree, you're just like, oh, this could potentially be a love interest. And you get that feeling that she's looking at him going like, wow, like, you know, I'm pregnant. This guy, he's a bit of a cheeky scoundrel, but he, he's, he's kind of cute. You know, they, they have that, that back and forth banter. And it just makes you think like, oh, like this, this could be something special. And and those and that's basically what I get from you know from me and Asimov and Katerina, and seeing how they interact with each other, and then obviously seeing the interaction between Spike and Katerina, and it's and it's just that thing, it's just moments. So so yeah, I I just that's that's what I got from from those scenes. Hmm. Mm. And it's it's interesting as well because like the way that that as you said the way that that scene kind of plays out, you you get the impression almost that it's um that there is you know a connection between katarina and, and spike but ultimately when it comes down to it spike is about his bounty so yeah. like you it kind of makes you think like you know how far would spike have gone if um things had you know developed and escalated between the two of them um you know would he have have kind of pursued katarina in that way or would he care more about the, the money and getting the bounty and, and getting the job done mm. um and you know that that mystery is never really solved in in this episode but and and it goes back to kind of what you were saying about like moments and about life and how life is like moments you know these things are, are fleeting and sometimes you know you do have that connection with a person and it never really comes through because life will throw something else in the way 
Um, and in this case, you know, it's the fact that obviously she's a wanted criminal <laughs> and, and Spy's mm. got a bounty that he needs to collect. So even though, you know, there, there may have been this, this thing between them, you always know uh, as a viewer, you're always aware that, you know, surely this can't go anywhere because he's going to want to get that, that money. He's going to want to get that bounty under. So it's a really, uh, again, kind of well clever and, and well realized kind of scene that, that really tells you a lot about um spike and and his character um we also get obviously uh jet being introduced um in this scene as well um he arrives at the bar and he's able to um obtain some information from two members of the syndicate um who have obviously come to to track down the drugs that they've stolen um and he the way he kind of handles both of them guys just just makes me laugh and it says to you as well this is a man who's who's serious about his business <laughs> um and it's kind of the 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 contrast between them as well um, between spike and and jet is quite apparent in this scene as well because spike you get the impression would probably try and have a bit of fun with both of these guys maybe take the piss out of them a little bit beat them around a little bit um and show off a bit a bit as well to show how much better he is than than them but with jet it's just kind of smash mouth and listen just give me what i came here for like i'm not interested in, in anything <laughs> just tell me why we're here you know um so it's a good kind of setup i really really enjoyed that as as well um and one of the the kind of shocking moments of, of the episode comes soon after that when um uh, asimov and katarina are trying to get away from the the syndicate and uh katarina as she's boarding one ship that they've hijacked um appears to get shot in the stomach um and you're thinking oh my god like this is this is crazy you know um how could an anime show like go that deep they've shot this woman in, uh, this pregnant woman in her stomach and then the next thing you see is all these vials of red eye falling out from her stomach and you realize like they've been having us on the whole time she's not pregnant at all she's just carrying all of these drugs underneath her dress um, and that was, I, I absolutely loved that. I thought that was so clever. Um, just brilliant the way that they, they kind of did that. Um, how did you feel about that, Alvin? Were you like surprised when that shot happens and that the, all the drugs come spilling out? Well, yeah, so it's a great reveal because mm. I, I was, I literally was not expecting it at all. You know what I mean? So it, it's just that thing of, they, they never really drew attention to it. You know what I mean? They never kind of hinted at it that that would be the case. So when that kind of happens, you're kind of impressed with the kind of clever ruse, you know what I mean, that she hit it that way or they hit it that way. And it it's just it's just a bit of a shock. You're like, oh, that's, that's actually kind of smart. But uh, And also it's just smart storytelling as well because like Rich said earlier, we, we don't have all the information. You know what I mean? There could have easily been a scene, for example, if someone else had written the show where we see them plan that, you know what I mean? And it, we see them put it into action. But doing it this way, where we have no idea and then it's revealed, is, is just smart writing. And it's just another another thing for you to kind of like be surprised by by the story that's going on. Mm, mm, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, Rich, was you shocked as well? Yeah, I was shocked. Um, yeah, once again, it's, it's... Well, the thing is, the reason why, why it's shocking as well is because you've got this person who's portrayed in a particular way. And this person right now seems to be like the most has now just because I mean let's just break it down because she's pregnant, like so because she's pregnant you know she you know she's got another life form in her she's got she's got a, it's almost like it's a second chance that she can you know aim for to leave this bad life behind her which is which is what you which is kind of like portrayed to that so when it does bust open it just reminds you once again like I said for this episode everybody that you've met everybody's telling some form of lie and that's the thing so it's actually probably like the saddest and the biggest reveal in this whole thing where you're just like oh shit man like the, the one piece of redemption that i thought i was going to get from this episode i thought it would have been at least that and even that ends up being a lie because mm. the other thing that you have to take into account is that as as fun as this show is some of the elements or some of the things that they do, do that they do deal with, which is done in a lighthearted way, even though it's not done intentionally, is still kind of depressing. Mm -hmm. So you meet this woman who's pregnant, and you're like, "Oh my god, she's gonna manage to get away, and she's gonna have this, she's gonna have that." And she would she would never tell a lie if she was pregnant. And if they do catch her when she's pregnant, 
they're going to let her go because they can't throw her into prison. So the minute when that that thing gets busted open, you're just like, ah, you're just like the rest of them, man. Fucking shoot her. (laughs) Like, (laughs) fuck it. I'm like, fuck it. Like, I've lost, I've lost all hope in life now, man. Like, you're like, what? How many episodes? Twenty six episodes. This the first episode. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So so I I remember like feeling that and watching it, and then obviously when I rewatched it the second time, just piecing things together and going like, oh, that sucks, man. Like, you know, that they go, or, or not even just that, but when that thing gets busted open and all the red eye falls out, you're just like, yeah, you're not, you can't hook up with Spike now because you're a proper bad person. <laughs> you're tainted. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Tainted goods. <laughs> Wear the scarlet <laughs> letter. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It does. I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's that last kind of that last little bit of, of kind of redemption that you were hoping for is, is gone, you know? Mm. Um, and speaking of depression, I mean, like the way this episode kind of comes to an end as well is just like crazy. I mean, um, so, you know, uh, Asimov and, and Katerina have gotten away on uh, this vehicle that they've hijacked. Um, Spike has, has jumped into the swordfish and is chasing after them. Um, and they're trying to head for the border. Um, basically the border in, in this show, because it's a sci-fi show is out of space. So they're, they're heading towards, you know, the outer rim of, um, the kind of domed world that, that a was describing earlier on. And, um, you find out that there's a whole heap of police that are waiting for them, um, at the border. And, you know, you can see what we're, we're shown the inside of their spacecraft of Asimov and Katarina spacecraft and, um, Asimov kind of yells at, Katerina for losing all of the red eye um and you can see kind of the genuine kind of shock and, and hurt on her face um when he does that um because obviously this is somebody that she's trusted a great deal and you know has has fought off as a certain way and then he's shown a completely different side to himself um but by this point as you know Richard mentioned earlier he was kind of hooked on his own supply and that's like anybody you know any drug dealing movie you ever watch rule one is always never get high on your own supply um, and Asimov breaks that rule pretty early on um, and is now kind of strung out inside of this ship um, as they're heading towards what looks like it's going to be certain death um, for them, basically. Um, and Rich, I mean, just describe kind of those final scenes, really, where they, they go up against the inevitable, really, in, in confronting the police in, in space. Well, it's, it's one. Of, I mean, it's once again, it's it's... it's the whole show or the, sh- the whole episode is just broken down into moments. So you've got basically, you know, them basically trying to head for the border and then you've got Spike trying to chase them and catch them and, you know, before they head to the border and before they run into the police as well. And it's kind of just like, you're, you're trying to think of like how it's going to end because you've just been hit by the reveal that obviously that Katarina is not really pregnant. So, and she's lied. And so that makes her now 100% a bona fide villain. So you're like, oh shit! You know w- what's going to happen now? Is is Spike is Spike chasing them because he because he's after the bounty, or is he chasing them because of her, because of Katarina? Because even though she may have lied, you know, is is he is he chasing is he chasing a dream? Is there something else there that that you know that 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 we can't see? And um, so so I I, I do like that thing that he's just like we we don't know what he's doing his job for. Is it for personal gain or is it actually for the for the love of the job or for the job that he has to do and um uh, do, do you want me to talk about the, the last scene where basically it all, it all comes to a head jay yeah yeah go for it yeah so so basically what happens is that asimov is about to take the red eye one final time because he's just obviously in some form of bad come down and he's jacked up and as far as he's concerned he's prepared to you know to have this final mexican standoff against the police who are basically telling them to slow down you know shut off the engine and basically we're going to arrest you and as Asimov is like basically putting this red eye in, in, into his own eye to, to get his to get another hit he's uh, also berating Katarina about how she's lost half the supply and everything and how she's loose and everything and then she just ha- she just sees this shell of a man and this is one of the things that I said about this show that works so well is that you don't need to know somebody's whole backstory sometimes you can meet someone and they can tell you, you can see how they act with somebody or, or to something in five minutes. And you can be like, oh, well, that person's got a bit of a fucking temper in them. Or, you know, 
this person's nice and laid back or oh, this person's nice and funny. Um, and you just see that in her eyes, she's like, yeah, my, my life is done. You've lost the plot. And without you, generally, I am nothing. I, I actually do love you. And I'm looking at these police. And if they catch us, they're only going to separate us. We've basically been in this journey our whole life. And so if it started together, let's, let's end it together. And she shoots him. Bang, just like that. And it's just the shock of just like, wow, she just shot this guy, her own partner. And then you're kind of thinking to yourself, is she doing it to basically, you know, just get rid of him and then she's going to hand herself into the police. And she basically just looks at Spike and she just says, adios. And there's that, once again, the whole thing that's running through this episode, it's moments because Spike is just there. And he has the moment to say something to her before she even says adios. And he doesn't take it. It's just that his mouth is just open and he kind of knows what she's intending to do. And she shoots herself. And so in between that moment of when he can say something, she says adios and she pulls the trigger. There's that thing of like what could have been and we'll never know. And and like I said, as much as, as fun as this show is, there's always that slight depressing feeling of like, shit, could I have done better today? Or could I have done better in something like that? Because essentially he's got the job done, but this has affected him in a personal way. And so that final scene is, is like, I actually, I just love it. And I'm, I remember when I was watching the commentary um, and the guys basically, um, uh, basically talking about how when she shoots the gun and then the police end up shooting the ship, that Katerina's dead body and Asimov are in, um, the way how the, the glass shatters and you see everything just floating about, it looks like a, like a flower blossoming and it's almost kind of like it's this is a new beginning for her like she's she's just gone taking on taking this wrong path her and her partner and in doing the right thing or the the best thing in that moment she's now been you know now living now living a new life and I was just like that's some pretty fucking poetic shit right Mm. there considering that she just shot her partner and she's now been shot to pieces and the ship's been shot to pieces by the police and she could have, like, you know, maybe had another life with a guy who just seems pretty cool from what we've seen in this episode. And and I, and I nearly just nearly cried. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I understand what you're saying. It's it's very emotional in the way it's it, it kind of plays out, you know. Um, and it's not the ending we necessarily would have hoped for, but it it kind of it is a I guess poetic justice in in a sense, you know, for for what um these two characters have been through um and where they were going and the path they were taking it was only really going to end one way you know um and ending it in in that way is a very kind of brave thing to to do from a creative point of view um because it doesn't give you kind of the the happy ending that you would have thought that this story might have been aiming for so yeah kudos to them man it was beautifully done um alf how about you man how did you feel about that final scene yeah, it's kind of, <clears throat> it's not the ending you'd expect, but it actually all makes sense. Like her putting Azimov out of his misery, I guess, to save him the whole kind of hassle. When he least expects it as well, just to end him there, it's like probably the best thing for him. Um, and, you know, she's she's got him in, a, in a, her arms before, obviously, the police fire upon her. And yeah, it, it totally makes sense. There was no other way out. So she ended it for him. And then, you know, she faced the consequences of her herself head on. And although it's kind of like you'd rather see, like normally you'd expect to see like the heroes of the story, Jet and Spike, you know, catch their bounty. Oh, great, they've got money now. The end. This does not do that at all. Mm. And I think one of the, the reasons why it doesn't do that is because it's it goes into because obviously we get the kind of bell peppers and beef joke again at the end and it kind of goes into it. it's circular it happens all the time you know what i mean they go and do a job it doesn't go right no bell peppers and beef hmm. but we're gonna say it's bell peppers and beef <laughs> just because it's better to eat it you know what i mean hmm. thinking that then eat the crappy food and realize you know that it that it's not bell peppers and beef so it, it's kind of like we're we're seeing that for the first time 
but this happens all the time you know what i mean so it just goes around in a circle right that's that's what their lives are like as uh as cowboys as bounty hunters so yeah that, that ending makes sense in in regards to the bigger picture and it just also made, just makes sense motivation wise and it's very mature like and it's very brave to tell a story like that and give his uh, it's a shock ending like the first time you see it but it is an ending that does totally make sense kind of like the more times like you watch or if you kind of like understand the character motivations and whatnot mm. but um but yeah it's, it's just a good kind of like you know i'm going to compare it to you know how the movie dread was kind of like a day in the life of yeah mm. yeah this is kind of like that we're seeing the day in the life of spike and jet and this is just the kind of shit that that goes down mm. you know what i mean so to, to us it, it's something quite major but this is this is normal this is real life for them it's like this is normal. It's shocking yeah. still because Spike mm. is still shocked when it happens when he sees it happen and notice that she's she had to take him out. But th- they see shit like this all the time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, guys. Well, um, we've kind of gone through the the episode, so we'll quickly run through some of um the homages and and stuff, and I'll see um how many of them made sense to you or popped out to you so this is stuff that i've been able to pull up on online um listeners if you wanted to go and check these things out for yourself there's a, a really good uh wikia that i found which is called a uh, bebopopedia um which is just basically everything related to cowboy bebop um including the background behind some episodes and, and kind of the references and stuff so um one of the, the the things that we touched on of course was the the references to desperado um which was a key kind of um influence on this episode um there's actually a specific action scene where um you probably remember you guys probably remember this where spike um confronts a, a car full of people yeah. um yeah and he's um the, the people are trying to shoot him and he's kicking like sort of the guns out of their hands and, and things like that yeah. um that's actually apparently a direct kind of takeoff of um the scene where remember danny trejo's kind of assassin character with the knife yeah, yeah on top of the car yes, knife yeah 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 so basically that's a direct reference to that um the character as we said asimov uh, solenson is is based on or, or named after the sci-fi author isaac asimov um Asimov and Katarina's death apparently is highly inspired by um Arthur Penn's old film Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. Um the two of them were were kind of right down to the ending where they they get die in this sort of hail of bullets from the police. Um all of that was was taken from Bonnie and Clyde which is um quite clever. And um the poncho that Spike wears when he's in Tijuana um, was apparently a reference to Clint Eastwood's character yeah. uh, from the Sergio Leone movies, um, The Man With No Name. So it's actually like kind of hinting that, that Spike is is very similar to this type of character, which makes a lot of sense, as said, once the series kind of goes on, you know, yeah. um, you get that sense for sure. So, yeah, I mean, those are the main uh, kind of takeaways there. Um, was there anything else that you guys kind of spotted that we didn't cover? No, no, that, that was it. I think that pretty much covered it all. Mm. But um, but yeah, but I mean, anybody who's listening, you literally just think about it like this is only the first episode. Mm. So you've got X amount of homages and a shit hot story with shit hot characters. Like if you had, like we said before, if you haven't watched this show yet, this podcast alone should make you go and watch it. Like just mm. just go and do it. Go go to it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix right now. Literally just go go and peep it, man. You won't be you won't be disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's listening, make sure you go and um check out the show as rich said it is available on netflix um so you can get it there um and i believe it somebody some intrepid person has uploaded the whole series on youtube as well so you can probably find them on youtube if if you prefer but but yeah netflix is definitely a good way to enjoy the show um because you'll get it in in great picture quality too so yeah go and check that out man all right well let me just do some admin before we say our goodbye so First off, um, for those of you who are finding us for the first time, um, welcome. We also have another podcast that we run uh, simply called Wulong Talks. Um, Make sure you go and check that out. You'll find that exactly where you found this podcast. Um, We're available all over podcast catchers as well. So you can find us um, on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. 
um, will soon be available on Spotify as well. We're just waiting for a, a response on that, um, and we should be up on there too. Um, and we'll be available on the new Google um, podcast app as well, which was announced this week. Um, so if you are somebody who is going to use that app, then make sure you check us out there too. Uh, we also need to say uh, a big shout out to the Britpod scene crew. Um, as you know, we're part of the Britpod scene, or for those of you that don't know, we are part of that too. Um, Wulong Talks features on there regularly, um, as well as this podcast. So if you're interested, go and find out a bit more about the Britpod scene, because there's loads of other podcasts there that are available to you. So whatever your tastes are in, um, you know, you'll find something that reflects it within the Britpod scene for sure. So go and check that out. Um, also, I must say a, a big thank you as well to Rob Wade um, and the crew from Emotionally 14. Um, if you're listening to us on the Emotionally 14 channel, uh, please let us know as well so we can feed that back to, to Rob and let him know um, how well this is going. Um, Emotionally 14 is a really great website. Lots of good podcasts on there as well. Um, there's some really good cur uh, curated stuff. Uh, that Rob has put together there, as well as the podcasts that he features in himself as well, such as The Crazy Train um, and the E14 Gaming Cast as well. So especially if you're a gamer, uh, make sure you go and check him out. Um, it's definitely worth a visit. Um, and finally, as well, we just want to say thank you to um, our friend Nigel from Mayamada, the uh, T-shirt and anime brand. Well, they, they produce mangas. Um, He's doing a great job at the moment in getting together uh, a special volume of, of his work, which is available via Kickstarter. So you would just need to make a, a pledge to Kickstarter and you'd be able to get a, a copy of that. Um, it's really, really brilliant. Go and check it out. Go to their website to find out more, which is www.mayamada.com. Okay. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for us, boys. So we'll put a nail in this one and, and consider session one done. Um, we'll have session two up for you very soon. So make sure you get watching on session two as well. Um, and make sure you get in touch with us too. Uh, we do have an email address that you can holler at us at, which is the bebop rewatch at gmail.com. Uh, and we also have a Facebook page as well. So make sure you go and like that. The Facebook is just simply called the bebop rewatch. Um, so you'll find us there. Um, and as usual, you can holler at us on Twitter as well at Wulong Talks. Um, okay, Richie, where can people find you at? Uh, on Instagram, you can find me under Rich Reviews. Uh, and then obviously, we've got the joint one. So we've got uh, Wulong Talks. Uh, and then also, the Instagram accounts basically accompanying this new podcast, which is called the Bebop Rewatch. Um, we've also got uh, some Vero accounts set up. So I'm under Rich Reviews as well. And I think Jay's on there as well, which I can tell you in a second, hmm. which we started to use. So if there's any any people up there who've you know created a Vero account um, and need some friends or need some content to try and chase up, um, yeah, give us a shout because uh, we, we, we're going to try and use that as well. So that's something to take into, take into account. Hmm. For sure, for sure, yeah. Um, my one on there, I think, think is j easy peasy i can't remember you know <laughs> like it's one of the things i've created so many socials now i can't remember what's what but yeah i think it's j easy peasy so yeah if you're a vero user make sure you go and check us out um big a thanks for joining us man on this first episode um as said we we had to have you on here because it, it just wouldn't be the same without you um where can people find you at you can find me on twitter and instagram at big a 85 gl wicked nice and simple all right, we're going to go. So let's end this thing on a high and say goodnight to you all. Hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you come back next week. As I said, we'll have a session two available for you soon as well. Um, and we'll see you, Space Cowboys and Cowgirls. Uh, say goodnight, Rich. Adios. Hey, nice. <laughs> and Alvin, say goodnight. Goodnight. And we're out of here, people. Peace.